You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning again. Let's take our scriptures and head to Romans chapter 14. I'm bending slow. It feels so slow here, but uh, we were doing some wood this week with my parents, so it's, the legs feel a little, a little weak. But Romans 14 and uh, verse 13, on your way there, I believe we've got a picture in here. This is from Malachi last week. I believe Malachi, maybe it was Oliver turned in. I did Oliver the week prior. This is from Malachi, just just does a great job of the shading and everything. Maybe they're watching online. Great job, Malachi. I really appreciate that. Um, we got a verse there. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. The one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. And you've got kind of, I think he's got the meat on the one side and the lettuce or vegetables on the other. And just this desire of Paul here for them to not quarrel over opinions, to welcome one another. And so he looked at that and kind of looked at that in scopes of before the Lord, that each one, whether you're eating or whether you're abstaining, either way, you're doing it unto the Lord, you're accountable to the Lord. We live to the Lord. Each of us will give himself an account to God, and then we get to verse 13. So, appreciate Malachi with that picture. And so we come to God's Word. Just on our journey, verse, really by verse, through the book of Romans, we come to verse 13, chapter 14 here. I'm going to read, it's again a little bigger chunk this morning, try to tie it together, but uh, 13 through 23 through the end of the chapter, let's hear God's word. It says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let's pray once again. Lord, as we dive now into your word and we have just read it and heard from you, Lord, I'm praying that your spirit would would bring to light what each of us needs to hear, that we would each listen for what it is you're saying as we just exegete, as we look over and exposit this word, that you would bring your truths and implant them on the heart by your spirit. 
So I pray for this, Lord, and, and may you just give our minds the ability to, even just to apply this and think of situations where this particular text is fitting and helpful to us as it relates to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So guide us as we go through for your glory, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, there's a theme interwoven here, even since chapter 12 of Paul, this theme of loving one another, and and I think our relationships within the church, and that'll even continue even into chapter 15 as we we look at next week. And last week, as we saw from Malachi, we started to look at these different opinions, convictions within the body, maybe areas of conscience, matters of conscience, that sort of thing. And I, I closed there with three principles regarding to the one to whom you differ. And we, we ended with realize, number one, God himself has welcomed him or her. So should you. If God has welcomed this one, you should welcome them. Number two, each of us ultimately, the thrust, we ultimately live unto the Lord. So let each be fully convinced in your own mind that what you're doing, your actions, the, the thing you're doing, honors the Lord. You live to the Lord. Eat to the Lord. Don't eat to the Lord in honor of him. And then number three, just consider God who is the ultimate judge. He is the ultimate. We talked about don't take his seat in judgment. He is the one. And each one of us, every one of us, gives an account to him. We praise the Lord that on that day we have the merit of Christ, his righteousness before us. But we want to look to that as well. Well, this week the same topic is kind of before us. And like I said, it's going to bleed into chapter 15 as we go here, but this, this week seems to be, seems a more horizontal push. So last week, it just felt like everything had this kind of in the, in the arena of the Lord, looking to the Lord, do these things. Here, it seems like looking to your brother, pursue what makes for peace, mutual building, this sort of thing. But that doesn't mean that God is not present here because we've got, we've got the mention of the kingdom of God there in verse uh, 17. And even that looms over, and it is to loom over our horizontal relationships with one another, this greater kingdom. There's a kingdom of men. This is the kingdom of God, a kingdom in which we have, by God's grace, come to worship the king of the kingdom, Jesus. And so there's an overarching theme. I think, you know, maybe you could make a case for different places. I think verse 19 is that maybe that overarching, overarching theme Pursue what makes for peace and for building up one another. And we'll look at it a little more in detail when we get there. But I want to look at three areas in this text just to break it out before we dive in. Verses 13 through 16, breaking that apart, showing, I think, the idea here to prevent prevent making stumbling blocks or hindering our brother. Maybe succinctly, don't hinder your brother. Don't put a stumbling block before him. In verses 17 through 21, we need to we just need to remember the kingdom of God above all and what is truly good. So remember the kingdom of God above all. And in that, remember what is truly good. And then we'll look at these last two verses here, 22, 23, where Paul says let, that what is to be done, it ought to proceed from faith. Everything without proceeding from faith is sin. And so try to look at, look at that a little bit. So let's head into our text. We're at verse 13. We'll kind of work through these. Maybe a little longer here and there, a little shorter here and there. See what the Lord has for us as we work through this. So verse 13 says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather 
decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Again, we're just on the heels in light of God, this ultimate judge. Don't take his bema seat no longer. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Now, that being said, I want to remember, too, this caveat that where God's word has clearly spoken, we are to speak clearly. This is not just, again, flattening out everything. You be you. If you want to do that thing, I think the Bible says you shouldn't, but I don't, who am I? That's not the arena. That, where God's, I think where God's word has clearly spoken, we need to speak clearly and call our brother. That's, it's in the text, we've studied that already, to cast off works of darkness. So this is not, here's how to let, it, let sin go with one another. These are areas more of conscience, conviction, maybe, maybe uh, areas where there, um, there's just not as much clarity for a thou shalt not. It's just not as clear. Gray areas might call them, that sort of thing. If you look quick at verse 14, we'll come back to 13, but quick there. Here in this realm, Paul, and even Jesus' view on, on foods, whether they were clean or unclean, we see this in verse 14. He says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. So Paul doesn't waver. He's clear. These things, maybe it's food sacrificed to idols. You know, maybe there's food uh, that was sacrificed and then sold in the marketplace. Maybe it's something like that. And some people say, I don't want to eat that. It was, it was offered to be You know, I can't do that. And he said, no, it's all clean. Or drink, maybe a drink was offered up a certain day. All these things might feel like, oh, they're unclean. But Paul's saying here, the, the cup, it's not going to infect you. The, the meat from the idol, the meat offered up, it is not, eating it is not going to let Satan enter in. Jesus says it this way. So you've got Paul, and then you've got Christ as well. He says in Mark 7, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And then later he says to his disciples, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? There's an interesting picture. And then it says, parentheses, thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. It's those things within. So Paul knows here everything is clean. He knows this. He makes it a point. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord it's clean, but he's willing to lay that aside, that conviction down for one who says that is unclean and I, I don't want to eat that. That's what Paul's saying. So I don't think this limits like debate or correction for one that thinks that to just kind of let it go. I think there's a little different take on it, but I think we can talk to the person and help them out and say, Here's, can I show you this and look at Scripture? I think it's more so trying to pull them along and say, don't worry about it, come on. It's more that attitude than it is, I think, just even having dialogue to speak about these things. But what matters here is not so much the thing. It's not the food, is it? It's what matters is the person 
and the relationship of the brother or sister. That's the thing that matters. And so back in verse 13, we're told the second part of that verse is don't put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of your brother. What is that? What's like a stumbling block or a hindrance? Leviticus 19, 14 gives a practical picture. I'll just read it. It says, you shall not curse the deaf. Okay? Somebody can't hear and you're cursing them. Don't do that. It also says, or put a stumbling block before the blind. So a blind person is walking along. Don't put a stumbling block. Don't put somewhere along the line for them to trip over and get hurt. Whatever. Don't do that, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord, it says. Think what Paul is saying, and I get this from other commentators. He's saying don't, when, you, when you flaunt and you parade, maybe you have a freedom. I can drink that. I can eat that. It doesn't. Your conscience is way more clear than the other person who, I think, seemingly weak faith has a weak conscience. It feels like, I don't want to do that. I think that's sinful to do that. So Paul's trying to counter here. Don't flaunt your freedom. Don't entice them along. You know, like, come on along because you're going to trip them up. You may be free in your conscience before the Lord to do this or that, but another brother sees it or sister sees this as a spiritual compromise so it's unclean for that person and so paul's adamant here don't put that in front of a brother decide to do it judge to do it almost same word as judgment there decide to do this it's called loving your brother and it's loving your brother for whom christ died what a picture to put above your brother this one christ died for so look at that in verse 15 For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Doug Moo helps us, commentator, understand, get at the situation in particular. He says this. He says, the the eating of the strong. So the strong one that says, I can eat anything, whatever. Doesn't meet offered idols, doesn't matter to me. Coupled with their attitude of superiority and scorn toward those who think differently can pressure the weak into eating even when they do not yet have the faith to believe that it is right for them to do so. This is where the commentary, I think they're helpfully trying to give us a picture of what's going on. It's not just two people have different opinions. It's the stronger trying to lead or say it's not a big deal or come along or just eat or it's there's this pressure to do this thing that the one says my conscience is bound. I, I feel sinful, but if you're saying I need to, then I do, and then there's that process. So walking in love towards a brother means not eating everything, but considering your brother. And so that second part of verse 15 is just even more forceful. You are destroying. If your brother's grieved by what you eat, you're not walking in love towards him. You're destroying the one for whom Christ died. A powerful statement of Paul. And I think the strongest argument of how to walk in love towards a brother or sister, again, over their head, that's one that Christ died for. They may not look like it, or maybe in the moment aren't treating you like they look like that, but that's what a way to look at somebody. That's who Christ died for. I think that tempers and changes our attitudes and how we approach one another. There's some helpful commentary in 1 Corinthians. I want you to go there. It's in chapter 8. 
It's just the very, very next, next book. Just head over to the right, 1 Corinthians 8. And again, I love it when Paul just gives commentary on Paul. And so it gives just a little different, maybe a few different words, different take. But you get, I think, a, a very similar idea in 1 Corinthians 8 with this food offered to idols. And I want to start in verse 4 and just read to the end of the chapter and just, just let it speak for itself and hear Hear what Paul's saying, 1 Corinthians 8, starting verse 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. It's kind of, you hear similar things from Romans 14. And that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many quote-unquote gods and many quote-unquote lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. There's Romans 11, right? And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, can you imagine that? I mean, I don't know what we, you know, where you place that in our our day, but they, they see you, they're eating in an idol's temple. Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the, bu- the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. stumble. That may be hard for some of us that like our steak or whatever, now, is that the same here? Do we have the thing with the idols? I don't, you know, again, the, the parallels apply. I'm just trusting the Lord to apply this in ways that make sense in our own lives, areas of conscience. But here it was this meat, and Paul says, I'll gladly. No more meat? Fine. No more hamburgers, steaks. For the sake of my brother, whom Christ died for, sure, I will do it. The destruction is really, I think, a destruction of the conscience. And when that conscience is lost, our God-given, our moral compass is damaged. So let me give just another definition for conscience. I didn't bring it with me, but there's a little book by Kevin DeYoung on, um, uh, on the conscience. Really thin little book, but he offers this definition in there of it. Since we're in the area, let me just give one more here. He says it's the moral faculty within human beings that assesses what is good and what is bad. Okay, this is a good thing to do, this is a bad thing to do. It goes on to say, when the Holy Spirit shines a light on what is bad or good in us, it is then the role of the conscience to appropriate the work of the Spirit. So there's this kind of this tandem work here, the Spirit working in the conscience. He says the Holy Spirit, right here he says, it, works in tandem with the conscience to produce in us a life of godliness and peace. A conscience is not only indispensable to living a life pleasing to God and enjoying peace with God, it is essential for living as the human beings God made us to be. 
So when we do things that are against our conscience, we destroy what God has given us for living within his rule. When we start to temper and, yeah, my conscience thinks this is bad, but I'm not going to listen today. And I think it's God's given gift. And for some, it's strong. And for some, it's weak. And we are, we're bothered by this and that. It's, it's where we are by God's grace. I trust him for that. Again, I'm not an expert on the conscience, but I think more and more I see this, it's just, it's throughout here, and it's something that is good for us to pay attention to. And as you read through the scriptures, notice where it's talking about the conscience. And this moral faculty, God-given, working in tandem with the Spirit to, to guide us. So don't discount it. Don't, don't eat against it. Don't do something against it kind of sear it or, or dampen its effect in your life. Okay. Let's look then, let's continue. Right, we're back in Romans. Let's go back to verse 16. Okay. Don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. Verse 16 then, so do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. Can I read that again? It's a little harder to understand. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. There is, I think, one commentary. I was going down this route, what you regard as good. Maybe salvation is good. That's the thing. Don't let the gospel or salvation, that's a good thing. Don't let the gospel be tarnished by the way you're acting. That could be John Murray sees the good here as, what is this good? So do not let what you regard as good. I think he sees it as the liberty which the strong believer enjoys in regard to eating and drinking. You say, it's good to eat or drink. I think that's the, maybe the, the sense of the, what's good here. You regard that as good. It's, it's good to do. I don't see it as unclean. It's fine for me to do this. My conscience is not bothered by this. It's fine. And so the stronger one eats, whatever, maybe calls it good. Paul himself would say, it's good, yet even what is good, if it's good, even that can be slandered here. The, the word is even like, like, has this blaspheme idea in it, to be spoken of as evil, that this good thing, it's good for you to eat, it's, it's not unclean, you're going to eat it, and yet in so doing, in the way that you're acting, it can be seen as evil or be spoken of as evil when you don't love your brother. Give an illustration of that. I read a book one time. Um, don't remember all the book, but I remember the title. And the title was called Killing Calvinism, How to Make a Perfectly Good Wreck. How to Make a Wreck Out of a Perfectly Good Theology. Now, you know our statement of faith. I would say it's generally Calvinistic in, in its approach. But this book was saying, don't kill a good theology by the way you act and how you treat others. So there's good doctrine, there's good theology, there's good things, there's good eating, all these sorts of things. But if someone has good doctrine and they just bully everybody, or they're not, they're not kind, or they don't love their brother, then you, you tend to look at the other things about them and go, oh, then I don't like that dot, I don't like these things. That may or may not be true, but it's the way that you're acting in it. And I think for these people here, Paul is saying, you're not, you're not acting good. You, it might be fine and well and good for you to not eat this thing or to, to eat this thing, but the way you're acting, everybody's, the others are looking at this as not good. And so look at how you're acting, how you're loving your brother. So Paul would urge those in Rome, don't put a stumbling block 
or a hindrance in the way of another brother, even one who seems weaker in the faith. They've got limitations you don't have. And we get into verse 17 through 21. We need to remember here this kingdom of God. It's above all. And then remember what is truly good. So what you regard as good and then what's truly good. Look at verse 17 again. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul seems here to do, I I think maybe we've got a glimpse of what's been called theological triage. Maybe you're, you're familiar with the word triage when some big catastrophe happens and the medical people have to figure out this one ought to be cared for first. They're the most close or they're closest to dying. We need to deal with them. And then secondly, and then third, this one's got this cut, but we'll let it go and it, they'll be okay for a couple hours. Theological triage says, okay, these are, these are important issues here. Salvation, the gospel, the Trinity, who is Christ, those sort of, then there's other things and kind of down the list. Not saying they're not all important, they're all important, but just you get into other areas of conviction, what you wear, or maybe how a church, how a service should run, or different things like that that maybe are really important, but less important. And so Paul, I think, in that way, does a little bit of this because he's saying here, eating and drinking, yeah, that's not really what matters. Those are opinions, but what matters in the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. You can hash out, figure out the eating and drinking, but these are the things that matter. Righteousness. For instance, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He, the Lord God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Being justified, that's imputed righteousness to us from Christ. That's what Christ did for us through his atoning work that we're going to remember in a couple minutes. That's really important. As to peace and joy, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, declared righteous, we have, what do we have? Do you know Christ today? Do you know what you have today? You have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And here it is, joy. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's peace, there's joy, there's righteousness. And so verse 18 here, Paul says, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. The SV Study Bible comments here, those who show such love for the weak please God. And stand out before others as selfless servants of Christ. So to serve your brother here, whoever thus serves Christ, I think serving, serving your brother is serving Christ. And so verse 19, again, as I said, I think comes in to summarize our task. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Peace and mutual upbuilding. That one's not as hard to understand, is it? That particular phrase. It seems pretty straightforward. But we must. Paul's calling us. Pursue it. It's not just going to happen. Pursue peace and be part of building others up. This mutual uh, building. The, the Greek word for building even gives it kind of a construction, a household field. Like 
Like you're building this house in verse 19. You're building up one another. You're building, constructing wood, rafters, all these things, roofs. and You're building someone up. And so don't, for the sake of food, do what verse 20 says, destroy the work of God. So there's this construction, then there's this destruction. And so matters of conscience, the way we deal with less clear issues in Christianity, these things matter, but it matters how we deal with them as well. And so this text says they're important. These things are important to think about. Consider one another, building up one another up. So remember the kingdom of God. Remember what's truly good, to love your brother and not cause him to stumble. Lastly, verses 22 then through 23 take us to the heart of faith. Hold on. I think I missed verses 20 and 21, didn't I? You that were following along maybe caught that. Hold on. Uh, Let me just read them here, just so we don't miss them. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. There's that, that construction image again. Everything is indeed clean. Yeah, there it is. But it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Again, you, you've heard this before in this text. It's wrong. Don't make your brother stumble by your, what you think is good. So verse 21, there's the good. It is good not to eat meat. So you might think it's good. It's fine, well, and dandy to eat your meat or do whatever your conscience tells you. Verse 21 says it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that, again, causes your brother to stumble. Okay, just bring those in there. Now, verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. I don't think Paul means have a hidden faith in terms of we don't ever talk about Christ with anybody else. We don't share about Christ. That kind of hidden faith. Leon Morris I think explains it here. He says, Paul, Paul is thinking rather of the faith that enables anyone who has it to follow without hesitation or scruple a course of action which his weaker brother cannot follow. That kind of faith. I think this is strong, weak faith, that idea of faith. That faith, Morris says, should not parade, but exercise it where only he knows about it. So the call here, it's not... As Murray would say, don't brandish your faith or boast in it. Look, look at my freedom. You don't like eating meat? Well, look at this. And you're just eating it and doing it right in front, kind of brandishing. Look at my awesome faith, that kind of idea. Let it be between you and God. And yes, there is a blessing. There is happiness when one lacks this inner conscious judgment by his decisions and what he approves. That's the second part of verse 22. I wonder if... Verse 22 is this not another way of saying there is joy in operating with a clear conscience. I eat this clearly, I don't eat this, and I feel really good for not, or I don't drink this, I do drink this, that you're doing it with a clear conscience. Contrast that then, because there is a contrast with verse 23, where it says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. So here's the doubting one eating because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So you've got this contrast. You've got one seemingly strong in the faith that says I can eat whatever I want. 
or drink or do this particular thing. My conscience is not bothered. And there's another one who, in what it seems like, it seems like they're doing it in the very act. They're hesitating. They're debating. Oh, I'll do it. I know it tastes good, but man, I don't know. Now, or just there's this, there's this inability internally to approve of the thing that you're doing. And so he doesn't eat from faith, but he eats in guilt. And, what, and it's said here, what does not proceed from faith is sin. And so I think we can assume this one is they're eating. It's not out of a clear conscience. It's a guilty conscience in the eating. And so Doug Moo says this. He notes, the doubts of such Christians arise from the fact that they do not have a strong enough faith to believe that they can ignore the ritual elements of the Old Testament law even. So there's some of that probably going on. He says, Paul claims that any act that does not arise from a conviction rooted in one's faith in Christ is sinful. Violation of the dictates of the conscience, even when the conscience does not conform perfectly with God's will, is sinful. So again, this this area of conscience, listening to this God-given gift that the Holy Spirit works in our lives in this way. Let me just say, as we kind of bring this all in, it's, it's not a particularly easy path. There's some challenging. How does this work, and where do these things? And, and even what's hard as well, one of the issues is just how do we relate all these things to our day? What's the, the equal of this? We talked about alcohol. Maybe there's other things. I, I'm sure there's. I know there's other things going on. It's just hard to say, okay, this equals this, that sort of thing. But what seems clear? What do you come away with? Okay, maybe that's not as clear What's the clear thing you come away with? How you deal with a brother. How you relate to one another in areas of differences, matters of conscience. I can do this, watch this movie. I would never watch that. Those sorts of things. Again, not flattening out. Not. Are you sure you ought to, you know, is that a good thing to do that? At talking to one another. That's, but it's this loving of the brother to walk in love. And so I want to address, as we close, just address those amongst us those with a strong faith, maybe you, you have the blessing <laughs> of, of a more guilt-free conscience. Then there's those weaker in the faith with maybe a more guilt-ridden conscience. So to the strong, to those whose conscience, for the most part, it's pretty free and clear in Christ. You are really not ba- bothered by matters of food and drink. You seem to enjoy grace, freedom of Christ. This passage is for you to cause you consider the brandishing, if that's a sword thing, brandishing your freedom in Christ in a way that makes your brother stumble or trip or be grieved or be destroyed for violating his conscience. At the core, there's a call, really again, to walk in love toward your weaker brother and, verse 19, pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding not destroying that house of one, but building one up. You may be 100% right in your convictions, and you can also be wrong in that when you don't do things in love. To those amongst us with a weaker conscience, those weak in the faith, maybe you say, "I'm, I'm that, I feel more guilty, you've got doubts whether your actions are right or wrong, things you just, they bother you more, that kind of thing. Paul again would say, he would say, be fully convinced, verse 5, in your own mind, be fully convinced there in your own mind. 
of what you can approve. But also be careful not to judge your brother in his freedom. Talked about that a little last week. But in all things, again, before God, walk with a clear conscience. That means don't violate your conscience. Don't do things or partake in things that you don't approve of. That's okay. You might say, I don't want to be the weaker one. Well, pray about that, Lord, that he would mature us and grow us. We we talked about that last week a little bit. There was a quote from Murray. I'm not remembering it. We grow in Christ, mature. Not not growing in a freedom to, yay, I can sin now with a guilt-free conscience. That's not the order. It's these matters of conscience here and uh, hopefulness in the Lord. Let me just give you one more, a little longer quote from Kevin DeYoung, who kind of writes on this as well, I think maybe probably towards the weaker in conscious one. He says, he says, we ought to put our head on our pillow at night, knowing we have been forgiven. We have a heavenly Father who loves us, and we can have a clean conscience. If we walk around feeling all the time like we are a failure as a Christian, a failure as a parent, and a failure as a pastor, we have not grasped the gift of the gospel. This is not what it means to have the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. How wonderful it is when we turn from self and sin and turn to Christ and Christ's likeness when we can be clean, forgiven, and free. He says the Puritans used to say that the conscience is either the greatest friend or the greatest enemy in the world. (laughs) What a lie. Used to say the conscience is either the greatest friend or the greatest enemy. Isn't that true? In your own heart, when your conscience is bothering you, it is just torturous or a great friend to you. He says, just remember, it's supposed to be the Christian's friend. So De Young would say here, let the conscience help you turn from sin. Don't ignore it. Don't feel like I should be at this place now. I'm going to go ahead. I'm just going to start doing this, and maybe in time my conscience will follow. I think that's destroying the conscience God has given you. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, and so be led to Christ. And even as we're going to partake in a minute here of the Lord's Supper to remember this great gospel, that your conscience not be cleaned by sacrifices of bulls and goats, but by the one sacrifice for all, the blood of Christ. So verses 17 and through 19 again, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Let me pray for us. Father, again, Certain sections, maybe verses, phrases of this particular passage will hit on different consciences in the room. What an amazing God that in the, how many people, 50 or 60 gathered here today, that you're working on each heart and can on our conscience and to to lead us to you and guide us. Lord, I do pray, Father, that we would grow to understand, all of us, the freedom in Christ. You are the end of the law, righteousness for all who believe. Guide us to grow in that knowledge as we seek to live for you. Guide us to rejoice in the great gospel and to not go moping around in our Christian life as failures, but that our joy and our victory is not us, it's you, it's the cross. 
Lord, help those that maybe have been stifling and putting down their conscience and not listening as well to it. Convict of sin in that situation. That we would walk with you in holiness. We would eat or drink or we would not eat or not drink as unto the Lord and so living for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.